Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, March the 23rd, 2023. I'm not sure why I always announce the time and date uh, in this show, since we're talking about so often books and stories, books and stories, particularly uh, perennial stories, of course, exist outside time. They're eternal. They're in some ways hostile to the idea of time. Take the uh, the great fairy tale, if that's the right word, of Scheherazade, uh, uh, a story about storytelling itself. It's fascinated us endlessly over the ages. I just saw a wonderful movie with Idris Elba and T Tilden Swinton, uh, 3,000 Years of Longing, which is a, a recreation of Scheherazade. And these stories tend to inspire all sorts of artists. Um, Rimsky-Korsakov, for example, the Russian composer, um, uh, composed a wonderful orchestral suite called Scheherazade around the idea of stories. Writers in particular, of course, are fascinated with fairy tales and the telling of stories. And my guest today, Sabrina Ora-Mark, has a new book out, Happily, A Personal History with Fairy Tales. It's a kind of memoir built around fairy tales. And one of the reviews described it as a, a, a Scheherazade, a multifaceted Scheherazade. Um, Sabrina is joining us from Athens, Georgia, and uh, the book is just out. Sabrina, uh, congratulations on the book. This telling of stories, you're a professional storyteller, poet, short story writer, acclaimed in many ways. Um, tell me a little bit more about this book, why you chose to tell your own story and the story of your family and your life in this Scheherazade-style narrative? Yeah, um, well, it's lovely to be here. Um, you know, I really wanted to write about being a stepmother and raising my Black Jewish boys in the American South, which was very far away from where I had grown up um, spiritually, geographically, emotionally, um, I was wanting to write about what it means to be raising um, boys now. Um, and in many ways, I just was scared. I mean, I think that I didn't know how to write about certain things that I desperately wanted to write about. And when I found the fairy tale, I found a place that I could kind of live inside or um, almost have its hand reach out and accompany me on this journey of telling these stories um, about my life, um, about um, being a mother, a stepmother, a writer, a third wife, like all of these things um, that I think I otherwise would not have been able to tell. 
Um, and so in, in so many ways, the fairy tale became this kind of life raft that I was able to hold on to, to, to get to this, to get to the other shore. Uh, fairy tales, of course, tell of the so-called evil stepmother, a perennial popular theme in, in fairy tales. Tell me a little bit about yourself as a, a stepmother. You say you have what, two, two stepsons? No, I have two um, sons and I have one stepdaughter um, and my stepdaughter um, had, you know, um, is, is wonderful and I love her with all my heart, but being a stepmother is incredibly, um, incredibly challenging because you're a kind of mother and an unmother at once. You're sort of always... Um, the um, reminder that the mother or the real mother isn't there. Um, and so I, I went to the stepmother in fairy tales to kind of help me um, um, talk about those feelings of jealousy and feelings of not belonging and the feeling that like we are all this family in this house, but do some of us feel like we belong less than others, right? Um, and because the fairy, what the fairy tale does is it kind of tells the story, let's say specifically here of the stepmother in her most monstrous state, right? Anything that I would be feeling or thinking or saying um, could never be as you know, monstrous is what the stepmother thought. Um, and so there was something about staying inside of that story um, um, that allowed, that, that gave me a kind of courage um, to explore very um, difficult feelings about, about family. And I think, you know, all of us in one way or another, stepmothers or not, you know, always, um, are asking ourselves like where do we belong inside of this place where we are supposed to belong and vice versa of course in terms of the children sabrina just very briefly since you have written about yourself in this book tell me and, and and our viewers and listeners a little bit about yourself about your rather unusual family so let's see um i um I live in Athens, Georgia. Um, my I'm I'm married to the um, fiction writer Reginald McKnight. Um, he um, I he had been married twice before, um, so he has children from his first marriage, and then um, a daughter from his second marriage, and then um, our sons Noah and Eli, who feature. Um, um, heroically i think through throughout throughout happily um and we are a mixed race family living in georgia i was brought up orthodox jewish um and we are raising and my my husband converted to judaism and we're raising our kids jewish and so we are definitely um you know a kind of um um unusual family but 
there's also unusual and yet in a way given america perhaps not so unusual as you said your your husband is reginald mcknight uh teaches in the english department he's a well-known writer as well um do you think of yourselves as unusual or or typical of if you like the new unusual you know i think that's a really good point i think that you know the idea i think what was considered once unusual or impossible even you know i mean not very long ago my husband and i would not have been able to be legally married right um so there's the the um you know i think what what once what felt unusual or what once felt at first impossible or incredibly dangerous um is now Yes, I think becoming like less and less unusual. Thank, thank goodness. Um, yeah, in another way, it sort of fits in to your use of fairy tales. On the one hand, your life is a kind of fairy tale, but on the other hand, it's very realistic. It's very grounded, and it's anything but a fairy tale. So, how does the the whole fairy tale stuff fit into your life before we get to happily? Yeah, you know, I think when we say the word fairy tale, I think we're saying two things, two almost opposing things at once. I mean, I think, you know, there's the idea of the fairy tale as in like the dream of once upon a time and happily, you know, happily ever after, right? Um, the 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 dream kind of resolution, the place where, um, um, you know, all um all is all peace and happiness is restored at the ends but really i mean the fairy tales are you know terrifying violent um stories that often i think you know that had not even been originally intended for children at all and in many ways i almost think you know they're 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 stories that probably should just res- be reserved for you know, um, ancient children or trees or angels, or um, they're just, they're so, um, um, I think reading fairy tales and kind of seeing how intensely they can stretch and hold so much time and so many cultures, you know, and have been reimagined and revisited over and over again, it, it, it is both a story and also almost like a kind of atmosphere, a kind of weather, um, which feels both like really exciting and, and really terrifying. You live in Athens, Georgia. Of course, when we think of Athens, Georgia, we also think of the original Athens in Greece, the, the beginnings of certainly the written word and also a, a tradition of oral ster- oral storytelling. You've written your own memoirs down, your own personal history. Is this also a book that should be read out loud? What's the relationship in your view between hmm. books, text, and, 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 and the orality, if that's the right word, of, hmm. of fairy stories? That's, um, I love that question. I mean, I think that Yes, please, please read, read um, happily out loud. I, I am first and foremost, always a poet. Um, and um, sound is 
very important to me, um, the texture of the line. Um, I think that fairy tales and children's stories like nursery rhymes, like songs, like prayer, like spells, like poetry are all, you know, intricately connected that there's, there, they are, um, they do feel, um, very intended for the, the ear, um, as much as like both, you know, um, and I think that, you know, we think about telling, if you think about the stories you were told as a child, like not the stories you had read, but the stories that were told to you, like, don't they get into your bones in a way that's very different from, let's say, you know, um, um, a story, let's say, you know, you read online, even if it's the exact same story. Yeah, that's the musicality of, of yeah. fairy tales, which explains, of course, what I referred to earlier about Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade. Um, you retell these stories, though, in a very contemporary sense. So, for example, in the book, uh, you retell the fairy tale of Peter Pan, uh, adding Martin Luther King Jr., uh, a man from Georgia who isn't normally associated with fairy tales. H how did you do this and what was the focus in Happily? I mean, it's a personal story, but you're, you, Sabrina, seem to always mix the personal and the political. They seem unavoidably connected for you. Yes. I mean, um, the way that um, um, moment in the book came together was that my son, who for Halloween, I think he was in first grade at the time, um, had told me that he wanted to be um, Peter Pan for Halloween. And then I had gotten the whole costume and I was very proud of myself. Um, I can't sew, but I, I, um, I got all the um, you know, the green tights and everything and um, the, 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 this whole costume on Etsy. And at the very last minute, um, my son tells me that he decided he doesn't want to be Peter Pan at all, that he wants to instead dress up as Martin Luther King Jr. for, for Halloween. And I thought, well, I can't be the mother, right, who says like, no, you must be Peter Pan. You must be the boy who never grows up. Like you can't, you, you are not allowed to be probably the most significant leader of the civil rights movement. Um, and so in telling this story about um, my son kind of moving from wanting to dress up as Peter Pan to moving into wanting to dress up as Martin Luther King Jr., I kind of, it, 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 it created a space for me to, you know, ask those questions of like, who do you want your child to become, you know, and what is safe and what is unsafe. Um, and that question of, um, you know, in, in certain ways, like, would I, um, um, you know, do we want our children to be heroes or do we want our children to never grow up? You know, and it it allowed for and going into the story of Peter Pan, you know, allowed me and really looking at the figure of Peter Pan 
um, and the figure of the boy inside of a fairy tale, what it ended up doing is it sort of ended up being a kind of like guiding light for me to sort through my feelings of like, what does it mean to be a mother um, to, to these two boys um, who I want to both keep safe. I want them to be, you know, we all in certain ways maybe want our children to be heroes, right? But like heroes of not a story that somebody else is telling, but a story of their own creation. And so all of those questions um, surfacing up and, 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 um, as I wrote it and, you know, and, and really what would happen um, throughout this book is that something would happen. There would be some kind of like accident of time. So, you know, it would be either something small, like my son's iPad shattering and not being able to find a place that, that would fix it to like my sister being diagnosed with Hodgkin's to the pandemic, um, to homeschooling, to not getting a job I really wanted, you know? And so each time, like, it would just be this, this thing, this either like gigantic thing or a very small thing. And I would find a fairy tale to guide me through figuring out this moment inside of my life. Did you ever, as you were doing this project, did you ever imagine that you were living it yourself in a fairy tale, the, the ontological certainties of concrete day-to-day -day life were being replaced, undermined, or perhaps heightened by stories and the retelling of stories? Did you ever imagine that you were yourself living in a fairy tale? All the time. Um, yes. It's interesting that you ask that because yes, um, I, I think that there was something that was happening in using the fairy tale to help me navigate through a world that was starting to feel like more and more uncertain um, that there, that um, it almost felt as if like a fairy tale was being built up around me. And I know this is a, this is a very gigantic side note to, to all of this, but um, when I was in December um, of 2021, right as I was finishing happily, um, we had a horrible house fire um, and my house was basically destroyed along with everything inside of it. My kids and our pets and everything, we were all fine, um, but the house was destroyed and our books were destroyed. And um, I had this, um, I had this um, bookcase of fairy tales um, with, you know, all the notes and everything and all for, for the book. And when we went to kind of go through the house to see like what was left and what was not left, and there wasn't much left, the place where the bookcase of fairy tales once was, was basically just like a black hole. Um, there was, you couldn't even tell that there had been a bookshelf there. You, um, 
um, it was the part of the house that um, that seemed to have been the most destroyed. And when the fire inspector came, you know, they they send somebody there, you know, to determine the cause of the fire. And it was an electrical fire. And we, you know, it, it had started in an exhaust fan in our bathroom. But I said, you know, can I show you something? And I brought him upstairs to like, the place where this bookcase of fairy tales once was. And I said, like, there once was a bookcase of fairy tales there. And don't you think it's strange that out of all the parts of this house, that's the part of the house that is most not there anymore. And of course he had no idea what, you know, I mean, he's, he had already determined the cause of the fire and, you know, I, I had been thinking about it so much, that idea that, you know, maybe I had rubbed the fairy tales together so many times that, you know, I, I set off some kind of spark. And I know, of course, you know, this is, this is impossible, but also there was, there is something, you know, um, um, that felt very hot about working with the fairy tale. Um, for as long as for as intensely and as long as I did it was like all the energy of my brain was stored inside of that bookcase some people have described your work both your poetry your short story writing and this book as surreal and but sur the word surreal is increasingly being used by journalists mainstream observers of america it seems increasingly a surreal place we've done many shows on the surreal quality of american life do you think in an odd way in america as rival camps and traditions compete to tell the story of the country that the interesting and perhaps disquieting thing about america are these rival fairy stories about America itself. Mm. That the rival that that um, everyone has their own fairy tale of America, for better or worse. Some are mm. disturbing, some are nightmarish, some end mm -hmm. well, like all fairy tales. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a universal quality to what you're trying to do in uh, in happily on a broader scale, that America itself is the tableau for this telling of, of stories. It's mm. like a giant Scheherazade. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe there had been for a long time the idea that um, America stood for the place where anything is possible. Um, and um, and maybe inside of that construct, right? Like inside of like, everything is possible, nothing is impossible, which, which does speak to the idea of the surreal, right? Like it is possible for like night and day to exist inside of the same frame, right? Or in America, it's, it, it's possible to be anything you want to be. And so maybe um that which is that, a kind of fairy tale in itself exactly right it's a fairy tale in itself and it's also um um bend can bend into a place that is you know um kind of lush with these like 
you know, beautiful ideas and possibilities on one hand. And then on the other hand, you know, it can be um, anything is possible. I can do whatever I want can also be um, incredibly um, violent and um, destructive, right? So um, I think maybe you're on to something there in terms of, um, you know, America being the kind of um, um, story that holds both like the the most dangerous aspects of the fairy tale um, and and also like possibly some of the most miraculous. Let's end on a personal note. We, we talked a little bit about the Peter Pan fairy tale and how you universalize that in, in association with MLK and one of the, the stories. Um, you mentioned your sister being sick. I know you uh, you connect that with the, uh, the fairy tale of Rapunzel. Tell us a little bit about that and, and why you chose that and the importance of your sister's health and indeed the health of all your family. Yeah, we had, so um, I think I, there are two, there are two essays in the book that are um, mostly devoted to my sister. One is on Sleeping Beauty um, and one is on Rapunzel. Um, I, it was June of 2021, right? So it was sort of at the height of, um, um, you know, incredible civil unrest, um, Black, Black Lives Matter. Um, uh, That's yeah, June 2021. Is that that's right? And, um, and my sister, and we're still in lot we're in lockdown. And my sister is diagnosed with Hodgkin's and it's like sort of all happening at once. Um, and, and is your sister local? Or is she my sister lives was living in New York at the time with my mom. My sister is um, uh, twenty, almost twenty uh, two years younger than I am. Um, so she, uh, yes, so she's she was living still with my mom, and um, she got diagnosed, and she has this. Um, and she's actually doing really well right now. Thank goodness. Hodgkin's is actually um, considered one of the curable cancers. Um, so she's doing really, really well right now. But at the time, it was just like, you know, a thing that was happening that was, again, another kind of impossible thing. And um, we, my sister, had this, you know, incredibly like long, beautiful mermaid type hair. And um, we were trying to, and, you know, at the, she was diagnosed at 20, 21. Um, and we were trying to figure out like, if she should cut her hair first before she started chemo. And I ended up calling um, this wig maker um, who could take her hair um, and turn it into a wig. So rather than her hair falling out, she could like wear her own hair, which ultimately she didn't want to do um, at all. But um, um, as this was happening, 
Um, I was on the phone with the wig maker. Um, his store was in um, New York City. Um, his store had just gotten looted that night. Um, he was in, he was crying on the phone to me about the store and the wigs. And I was trying to figure out, you know, how to get my sister all of her hair back somehow and make sure that, you know, she, she would, you know, be okay. And it was just, there was this moment of like, this is all just absolutely um, too much. And that was one of the hardest, those, this, this, the Sleeping Beauty essay and the Rapunzel essay, those two essays were like the hardest to write because, I mean, and at one point I do say inside of the essay, um, you know, I'm trying to use fairy tales to talk about, um, you know, the fact that, um, um, you know, black men are um, being shot and my sister has cancer and I, you know, uh, and none of this is working, right? Like I can't, the, the, the fairy tale is not holding this space for me. Um, and it, um, and yeah, it was just kind of this big mess of so many things. And, you know, ultimately I, I, I wrote through it. Um, you know, Sabrina, in an odd way, fairy tales, I think were originally designed in some ways to put people to sleep. Your fairy tales are designed to wake us up. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And they woke me up. I mean, they woke me up. Um, I had not really, I had come to fairy tales very late. Um, and I think they woke me up to parts of my heart you know, the, the, the parts that you, you don't want to, um, admit to having, um, uh, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, they're incredible stories. And if you've ever like taken a fairy tale and tried to like stretch it, it just stretches on forever and ever. I mean, there's a reason why, fairy tales have existed for as long as they have across so many cultures. And I write about this in the book, but it feels really like a fossil you can plant like a seed, you know, it feels like this kind of collision of, you know, the ancient and the future. Um, 